welcome to South London Hardcore Episode 2. I'm Jack McEnroy. And I'm Steve Walsh. And this week we're going to be discussing the Elephant and Castle, past and present. But first, Steve, if I may, I would like to talk about sponsorship. It's about time, because... Yeah, we've been going for an hour and five minutes now. Yeah, but in real time, we're talking at least a week to ten days. That's a lot of, you know, mouths to feed, isn't it, in that time? Baby needs new shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got a baby, so I need new shoes. But, you know, let's be fair, the only reason we're doing this is to get paid. I don't, I don't like working a day job, Steve. And if I could make uh, £25 a week from uh, South London Hardcore, <laughs> that'd be more than enough. I think the only way to really make big money nowadays is to do a very niche podcast. Possibly <laughs> a little too Maybe niche. this isn't niche enough. I don't, yeah. Elephant and Castle Hardcore. Just the elephant. ECHC. Let's just do the elephant. You do the elephant, I'll do the castle. We're cannibalising our own business. But yeah, I think you're right. We do... If there, if there are people listening and thinking, can I sponsor the show? Of course you can. Get yeah. in touch, well, yeah? Well, let's not. Just leave. You have to have at least, what did we say, £25? And that's just for him. I'll need at least another tenner. So if you've got £35, we do £35 per show? Uh, not per show, man, at the moment. Because obviously when it blows up massive. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Do it show by show. So you get in now, you get it cheap. But obviously you talk to us in six months' time. And that, I'm probably open five, to a lower G's. price, Steve. Lower price. Vouchers, even. I, I think... Products. I reckon we'll do it incrementally, right? So it's a pound for the first sponsorship, two pound for the second, four pound, eight pound. You can see where this uh, is going. Like the guy with the rice on the chessboard. Exactly. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, <laughs> Bobby Fisher. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I believe that was Bobby Fisher. Questions chess, the answer's Bobby Fisher. If the question's a quote, the answer's Oscar Wilde. Um, yeah, so right now... But I, would we'll love to, I would love to be able to introduce the show and say... Brought to you by... This show is brought to you by uh, Trinity Hospice in Wolf Road. Yeah, yeah. You know, a, water yeah. damaged books at inflated prices. That's not, but that's not good sponsorship, is it? That's, uh, that's no, they they don't attack. I would on... liaise with them right. beforehand before I started saying, you know, change the books now. Well, and then I, I did I did some research for the show generally, and I came across a story of uh, a local business that I think uh, could do with us. Well, and we'll go into the, the story another time. But for now, I would like to publicly advocate having had never gone there. Um, Dave's Family Butchers in East Street Market. Dave's Family Butchers. Dave's Family Butchers, East Lane. Uh, is this Dave's Rose. English Family Butchers? That is the one. That is the one. You're obviously aware of their goods. They're goods. So, yeah. the, the, um, my concern, Steve, is that uh, there's a couple of halal butchers in uh, East Street and I don't want to nail my colours to the mask with Dave's English Family Butchers. I'm not saying they're, less, they've less, got an agenda, but... Well, let's go with them for now. And if the Halal Boys get in touch with a pound... The Halal Boys. That's, you know, that's what they're called, isn't it? Halal so. Boys Family Butchers. But, well, yeah. If, basically, anyone... It's Dave's Family Butchers for now. Anyone comes up with a pound, it's yours. Can't say fairer than that, can we? Can't say fairer than that. <laughs> to many, Steve, the Elephant and Castle Shopping Centre is a pink monstrosity. Now, it's not pink anymore. I was about to say, you're very unfair, because now it's a mostly grey and occasionally no, red. No, it's blue now. I don't know if this has happened in the last few days, but when I went past on the bus the other day, it was blue. Like a royal blue. I still think And it was it. red before that. Yeah. And it was pink. The thing is, I think a lot of people, their, their main concern about the Elephant Castle is that visually, in terms of shape and size, it's a monstrosity. And no matter what colour you paint it, it's an ugly edifice. 
I disagree personally. Shopping malls are. This is the thing, isn't it? It's, if you're trying to get that much into one place, you're not doing that and it's going to be streamlined and beautiful. I read, Steve, that it was the first covered shopping mall in Europe. I keep saying shopping mall, we're not American. But no, no. But I think, yeah, that's, I, I, I read that as well and it fascinated me. The idea that that happened in the Elephant Castle. But it was, I think, when it, when it opened, it was seen as a place, it was, you know, uniquely located in that it's within striking distance of central London, but you've also got the catchment area of south London. And obviously the time it was built, it's a time of a huge rise in social housing in the area. So obviously for a lot of businesses, it would have been seen as a desirable place to open up. The shopping centre was built in 1963, am I right? That's right. And uh, from what I've read, it, it, it struggled from the start. It was it was flagged up as uh, Europe's first covered shopping centre. It's this huge place. The scale was never seen before, and when it opened, it had space for 120 shops. But apparently, due to various problems with the construction, with signing deals with companies, when it opened, there were 29 premises. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's never 120 shops. That's in there, is the there? thing, isn't it? So it seems like it's always struggled, and like you know, at the moment, there's talk of regenerating the area but when you sort of look at the history of the place it looks like it's constantly being regenerated it's always being talked about as potentially being this wonderful place but never quite reaching and it looks like the shopping centre was a real chance to do that and it never quite took off the name Elephant and Castle comes from a tavern that was sitting on the site um, as early as 1765 Steve that's right and I think uh, having looked at the history of the area it seems like that was quite a definitive turning point for what the Elephant Castle was going to become it replaced on the same site uh, a blacksmith's and cutlers and the name came from the coat of arms of the Guild of Cutlers uh, the Worshipful Brotherhood of Cutlers which was an elephant with a castle on his back and the elephant represented the ivory that is used in the handles of cutlery and the castle was to represent the strength of the steel used so it was a symbol of this trade and industry that was taking place in this particular place. But then that blacksmith and cutlers moves away and a pub replaces it. And that is very much the history of the Elephant Castle. There's, it's not a place known for trade and industry. It's a place known predominantly now for shopping and leisure hmm. and fun. It becomes a playground at this point. I mean, if you look around the area, there's very little evidence of trades in there you have as say shops and markets and pubs and cinemas and theatres and even churches you have places that people gather socially but you, it's not known as a place of trade and industry and commerce in that sort of sense the elephant and castle symbol is you know it's a, it goes back like 2000 years doesn't it I mean it's quite a kind of common thing it doesn't just relate to elephant and castle in south london you know you got it in the because of the coventry city badge has got an there's elephant and, castle and, on and it. again uh coventry like sheffield uh had a history of steel production and cutlery production and it is a thing the where two go hand in hand are they well, yeah the, the main uh sort of industrial uses for steel at the time was on a smaller scale is this is before you have uh large-scale building projects that require it so at the time you're using it for Knives and forks, forks, yeah. Other spoons, cup, spoons. There's, uh, there's lots of forks. Too early. This is pre-spork. Too early. I think it was Colonel Sanders, isn't it? You got to give Colonel credit for the spork. I mean, 
I oh, always yeah. associate with KFC. First time I saw a sport uh, with KFC. Yeah, yeah, they want you to eat beans with it and also yeah. chicken skin. Yeah. Whereas your hands will do even for the beans. Finger licking good, isn't it? That's <laughs> an example of the sponsorship that we would... Uh, for a pound, out. Colonel, that could be yours. I mean, I think we're more likely to get Rodney Fried Chicken. <laughs> or uh, Of Rodney Road. Of Rodney Road, Rodney a genuine Rhodes. shop. Yeah. Or, Don't uh, mention, they haven't given us a pound. Don't mention so yeah, it's, as you say, it's a, a, a very common symbol in areas where steel and cutlery was produced. And it just so happened that in this particular place, that place closed down, a pub went up his place, they kept the symbol. Uh, because you'd imagine for a pub, uh, that would be very distinctive. Yeah, it makes fun. a change from the king's head, doesn't this it? This is it, the king's head, the bricklayer's arms, the rose and crown, the elephant and castle. Sign writers are having a field day with that, isn't it? Yeah, the most popular alternative theory is to the name the Elephant and Castle. When you say alternative theory, you mean incorrect? I- incorrect, but the most popular... I'm sure there's a few... In- Actually, having said that, I can't think of any other incorrect theories that have come up. But the, the most popular one was that it came from the phrase Infanta de Castilla and referenced a Spanish princess, one of many who'd married into the, the British royal family at some point, travelling through the area when it was still known as Newington. The original area was known as Newington. And the name still lives on in... You've got Newington Causeway and Newington Butts, two of the roads that lead off of the Elephant. Newington Library, of course. Newington Library, yeah. So the area itself traditionally was known as Newington, but the the phrase, the Elephant Castle, came to represent the area. But the idea was that at some point, the village of Newington hosted uh, a passing Spanish princess who stayed in a local inn for the night, and the innkeeper was so taken... He built a shopping centre in our image. <laughs> the opening of Westminster Bridge in 1751 sees the Elephant Castle linked with the North Bank of the Thames for the first time and opens up new markets and avenues for trade in the area. The south of London tradition has always been seen as a place of pleasure and leisure and escape. It's where the theatres were during Shakespeare's time. It's where the brothels and the bear pits were because the law was a little more lax. What's a bear pit? It's literally a pit where you watch bears fight. <laughs> literally. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. Are there any famous ones we can cover at some stage? There, there's loads. Or Are there any still going? <laughs> there's, there's only one or two still going. I mean, outside of Romania. <laughs> no, well, there's loads of places around uh, Bankside and Lambeth. And, you know, the tradition lives on through music halls and whatnot. The, the South was seen as the lawless area where you'd go for you're slightly uh, dangerous fun which you know at the time would have been things like the theatre the theatre was seen as this massively subversive art form that you went to if you're a bit shady at this point the elephant castle becomes known as the piccadilly of the south which is possibly massively inaccurate i think that's pushing it isn't it i mean there's a it's a roundabout isn't it it's a roundabout so it's a different shape it's right. in the south yeah yeah because the circus is technically not a roundabout is it it's a circ- more of a circus well it's more piccadilly piccadilly the place itself is seen as this strip of shops and at the time again theatres and variety halls so it was seen as a place to go to unwind and the idea was that the Elephant Castle was the, the, the South London mirror of that you had uh, department stores and markets and theatres and cinemas well yeah segueing in and making a, quite a tenuous link to the Piccadilly Circus uh, there was a cin- there were three cinemas at one point in the Elephant and Castle, and um, 
One of them was called the Trocadero, and it had the largest Wurlitzer in Europe. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That's and it? it's now in uh, the Troxy Theatre in Stepney. They've, they've got the, the original, the, the original oh. Wellington Castle Wurlitzer that was the biggest in Europe. The Tro- Have you been to the Troxy? No, no. I went there to see the Pixies. Um, did they play the largest Wurlitzer in Europe? Yeah, they did. Uh, Where is my mind on the Wurlitzer? It was incredible, <laughs> actually. Better. Uh, You'd say, yeah, it? better than the uh, recording in a way. <laughs> Opposite the shopping centre is the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and as a kid, I went there a few times. They had uh, links with the church that I went to, and my dad worked with a guy who uh, who was a deacon there or something. Yeah, it's interesting that you've got on the one side of the roundabout this huge. It's hard not to sound sort of crass and silly about it, but this sort of temple of decadence, the, the shopping centre, this place dedicated... <laughs> I, did, I did warn you. Temple sound, of decadence. Yeah, okay. you've got this place, this space dedicated to nothing but sale and consumption. And then directly opposite, you've got this equally huge place dedicated to worship and the divine. And it's a, been a traditional spot for churches since... 1222 was the earliest recorded church on that spot. Not in that exact spot. The, the actual church in 1222 is now the site of uh, the leisure centre. Oh, okay. So but 800 years, though. That's... 800 years in that particular area. And the significance of, of the actual location of the Metropolitan Tabernacle now is that the church was there since 1222. In 1557, uh, during the reign of uh, Queen Mary I, Bloody Mary, some nonconformists were burnt at the stake next to the church. So when it came time for the Baptists to choose a location for their new church, they chose this place where martyrs had been killed 300 years before and deliberately chose a place where they, the men had been burnt at the stake, knowing it was quite a potent sort of place. And again, in the same way as when the shopping centre opens, it's the largest shopping centre in Europe. When uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle opens... It's the largest non-conformist church building in Britain. Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me, actually. I've you know, said I've been in there and it is huge. Um, and Spurgeon used to preach there. And, I mean, it's difficult for me to know. I've got such a different frame of reference with uh, evangelical preachers to most people. <laughs> uh, but he was a big name, I believe, Steve. He, he was, uh, yeah, he was quite... Uh, very much the Billy Graham of his day. Very much so, yeah. yeah. Be uh, upsetting some of my uh, Christian listeners with that comparison, <laughs> but never mind. And if you look at the, the building now, like a lot of South London and the Elephant Castle uh Metropolitan Tabernacle was bombed during the war. The portico survived, the actual front of the building. It was very much the Dresden of South London, wasn't it, Steve? Well, it was. <laughs> well, South London generally, I mean, it, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, if you look, you know, this is a slight tangent from what we should be talking about. Well, not really, because it's still South London related. You, you, if you look at the flight path of the Luftwaffe when they were coming into London, they're flying over South London. And as part of the attempts to deceive them, as to locations of place and whatnot, generally the government would try and tell them that things were in a more southern position than they actually were. So mm. South London was particularly badly hit by German bombers because they were aiming for Parliament and Buckingham Palace and other prominent central London areas. 
and instead hitting South London, hitting the Elephant and Castle. And also, the other problem is, of course, if, if you are attacking these uh, planes on their way in, you're more likely to hit them early, and they've still got full payloads and whatnot. So, yeah, South London was uh, particularly badly hit during the war. People talk about, and obviously the East End was badly hit as well. It's not too. Oh, well, they don't half go on about the East but, End. Yeah, all the, the Blitz, Steve. The, all in the East the End, thing. Steve. And the Blitz was a London-wide phenomenon. The, the East End was particularly badly hit because the commercial interest there and the docks. But South London, considering how little was there in terms of strategic war efforts. Woolwich Arsenal? Woolwich Arsenal, yeah, the munitions. But realistically, that's, considering... That's a pretty long way away, though, isn't it? That's the thing. If you look at where Woolwich Arsenal is and the Thames, the fact that anything was hit between there. Yeah. I can't think of any locations of munitions, factories... They've or... got no reason to be bombing Grosvenor Terrace, Steve, have they? <laughs> but bomb it, they did. The Metropolitan Tabernacle. You can imagine if you are a bomber and you're a bit nervy about where you are, you just see this giant. It's where the size uh, backfires a little, isn't it? Sort of like, what's that giant <laughs> building? That's got to be worth a hit. Yeah, bomb that. Yeah. Spurgeon will be furious. <laughs> and then after the war. Well, the job came up to essentially rebuild the area. And this is part of where the shopping centre comes from. You've got a period, not so much immediate after war, because obviously the economy was bottomed out by the war effort and it was a case of recovering and getting you know loans together but by the 60s there's a huge drive to rebuild there's a drive towards social housing there's a drive towards re-establishing the elephant castle as a place and it's interesting they, they try and almost rebrand it they you, you have the shopping center built but you also have office buildings and residential buildings and with the office buildings, it's, it seems to be an attempt to appreciate the fact that it's close to government, it's close to Whitehall. So they build offices for government departments. And you get what is now, ironically, uh, a residential area. It's called uh, Metro Central Heights now. But when is it was that built, the one designed by Enzo Goldfinger? That's right, yeah. Uh, and was originally office buildings uh, was it? for the Dep- Ministry of Health. What became oh, the DHSS. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, and again, this is based on online research, and I don't want to... I thought it was going to lie, but he's dead, so it's fine. <laughs> Gold, Goldfinger ain't coming after us. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to sing, this would be the... Um, do, you know, do you know the story behind James Bond, Goldfinger, Fleming choosing... Because that's quite an interesting one. No. Apparently, Ian Fleming was talking to one of uh, Goldfinger's relatives on the golf course and they were telling him what a horrible person he was and Fleming didn't like him anyway because uh, Goldfinger had a house built in Hampstead oh it's beautiful isn't it? He, it apparently it's beautiful but he knocked over a row of cottages to build the house and uh, Fleming really liked the cottages I think it was worthwhile it's a lovely building have you seen the cottages? I don't need to this but it's thing, like it? it's, this, it's just a massive rectangle I'm yeah. a sucker for uh, rectangles cubic cuboid and all What's the word? <laughs> I think cuboidinal is the word. And if it isn't... <laughs> I'm a sucker for cuboidinal architecture. That will be the first t-shirt we have made for the show. <laughs> We're back in South London and cuboidinal architecture. Yeah, first of many. So Fleming decides, well, if this guy's, you know, apparently not a particularly nice piece of work and I've got a bit of beef with him over some cottages, he's definitely going into my book as a villain. Goldfinger hears about this and threatens to sue. Well, actually starts, takes legal action out against the publishers. Oh, wow. The publishers uh, are not sure what to do, so they sort of say to Fleming, are you willing to change the name? Fleming says, the only name I'll change it to is Goldprick. 
Oh, and hence the Austin Powers movie. Possibly. Yeah, Gold. But uh, the publishers will go, don't really want the character to be called Goldprick. And he went, well, it's Goldprick or Goldfinger, you choose. At this point, Goldfinger settles, which seems odd, because he settles for his costs and six copies of the book free of charge. <laughs> and my thing is, if you've got a problem yeah. with your portrayal in the book, 60 copies, 600, how many copies you give me doesn't matter, does it? Because I'm not going to hand them out to people and go, yeah, yeah you know the Stop douche. giving me copies. You know, you know the dick in this book, the one that no one likes, based on me, as if you're proud of it. Unless it, maybe he'd never read a Fleming, read a Fleming, liked it and went, you know what, this guy can go to town on me. It's fine. So yeah, Goldfinger builds uh, Alexander Fleming House, named after the medical pioneer. It houses the Ministry of Health. Ian Fleming House. Alexander, Alexander Fleming House. House. But right. yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, he's probably furious at that point. Don't call it that in case he's related. But um, apparently, it was uh, beautifully designed and looked wonderful. But suffered from. Have you ever heard of sick building syndrome? I haven't, Steve. Is that some kind of? Uh... It's an architect. Well, almost an architectural thing. It's the idea that. A place is so badly designed that people become ill by staying in it. The lighting's not good enough, the ventilation's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And that was the case for Alexander Fleming House. So the Ministry of Health was there. But apparently they had to... The, and again, this is from the internet, so I don't know how true it is, but I want it to be true. They had to move out because it was unhealthy, which is quite funny. And then they were relocated to back to Whitehall, essentially. They tried. And it was nice. The government tried to sort of reach out to South London and go... We had a go. But... We, we let them have some offices. It didn't work. It made them ill. Let's just have... Loads of shops. We're going back over the river, right? Yeah. We'll, have, we'll keep cinemas and shops there. Massive church. We'll keep a massive church, just in case. I find with the Elephant and the Castle, as I imagine a lot of people do, that it's somewhere I pass through without ever stopping at, or rarely stopping at. It's hard to sort of go through that part of South London without going through the Elephant and Castle. It's a huge sort of transport hub. You've got the Overground Station there. You've got the Tube Station there. You've got... 28 bus routes passing through it it's a place where if you're trying to get anywhere in South London the chances are you can start from Elephant Castle and you're going to be one or two buses away and incidentally London's last ever tram stopped at the Elephant Castle that was the final stop saw that in a little film at the uh, Mediatek at the BFI South Bank Mediatek? yeah it was like a 5-10 minute film on the last ever tram well, apparently it was talk about sort of doing a cross river tram link but I think the money's falling out for it now. And I think the other thing's going to be involved in that. But it's nice that, you know. Yeah, trams, are just it just seems so antiquated, doesn't it? They've thrown them up around Croydon, which is fine for Croydon. I think it suits the uh, character of the area, Steve. I see what you're saying. You're a tram people in the Croydon area, <laughs> aren't you? We, at Elephant and Castle, if we want, if anything, we want a monorail. I think, monorail, it's got something in it. You, I think there you're judging the tram based on one passenger who's got a lot of this. <laughs> you, you're assuming... Uh, that didn't even occur to me. It just, that's the thing. Subconsciously, it occurred to you. It didn't occur to you. But you're obviously thinking that woman on that tram is every person on the tram, and she's not, is she? Even on that tram, people are quite prepared to have a go at her. Yeah. So you know, go easy on you know. Yeah, don't hold it against Croydon. How are we supposed to get tram user sponsorship with that sort of talk? Good point. <laughs> but we did take a trip there, Steve, earlier in the week. We did popped over for. Uh, a bite to eat and a wander around. And being completely honest, it's not somewhere you're going to go to on a regular basis, is it? No. I mean, I think you pointed out the place is, is quite liberally decorated with photographs of happy families and happy individuals 
but the photographs all have one thing in common none of the pictures are taken in the Elephant and Castle shopping centre it's people being very happy not being in the place that you're in which isn't the best advert for that particular spot it's got a Greg's though Steve it's got a Greg's yeah I mean there's a Boots a Superdrug that's it it's got an Abbey National WH Smith yeah it's got the brand names it's got a handful it's basically got a handful of chain stores that have signed leases they probably regret now <laughs> and, uh, or they're getting a wicked deal yeah that's yeah that's probably it one of the two because it's not it's one of those places where because of the time it was designed it's not obvious from the outside what's in there it's only once you get inside you realise there's a boots you wouldn't go there you wouldn't go past and go I'll just pop into boots and see it from the street you have to go inside and wander around to see what's in there yeah, you're not getting any passing trade, are you? No. Unless people sort of go, that place is huge, it must be full of shops. And then they go inside and go, there's a lot of closed units in. You've got the print your own business card machine, which we saw a man using at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And it seems to have been there. I don't remember a time when it wasn't there. And to be fair, we were quite prepared to have a go. But this guy, we were going to get some cards over. Yeah. Just basically, because what, you know... Two pounds for 20, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Also... It had clip art that beggars belief, doesn't it? Yeah, quite a range of clip art. I mean, you would have thought, what, maybe a computer, um, you know, a picture of a guitar. It's things, you know, people yeah. do as jobs. It, to be fair, it had a picture of a computer, but it was a tiny photograph of a computer keyboard, wasn't it? Yeah, there was one that um, you could choose a piece of RAM as the picture <laughs> on your business card. What's your job? Memory. And it's sort of ridiculously detailed... Very specific uh, sort of sub-jobs, weren't they, really? Well, it had. It wasn't just a case of, like, I work in the building trade. They were quite specific. There was a plane. There was a, a, you know, a way for you to say, for my job, if you need some wood smoothed out, I'm your guy. Because that guy over there on his builder's card just got bricks. He's just telling you generally he builds. I'm telling you what tools I'm going to use. And it was just like, there would be like a, a pile of rope, a coil of rope, as if... That's something. It's not something, is it? Obviously, just free clip art. So you just don't put it all on there. I wonder if that machine has been long abandoned. Well, the, the, no one's no one's taken any money out of it since uh, 1997. <laughs> the odd thing was that guy had a good 10 minutes because we did a full circuit to give him a chance to be gone. He was still there, but then he left as we came over, and it looked like the machine was working. And then we went to use it, and it almost immediately broke, didn't it? Almost as if it knew that we were using it in a very ironic way and it didn't want to be part of the <laughs> yeah, joke it knew machine. we were laughing at it rather than with it because that's the thing if we'd, if we'd possibly used it straight away it would have been fine but we spent seven minutes putting it every individual bit of clip art and going why is that there and the, the machine's obviously just gone I've had enough yeah, this machine does not support irony <laughs> but I it was I wouldn't say it, it was never um, exactly House of Frasier was it you know, the Elephant and Castle. But I, when I was younger, I did have reason to go there. I remember running there as a probably 15-year-old to get uh, the Oasis singles box set that was in the shape of a cigarette box. Oh, I got that. Yeah. yeah. See, I remember ru- I ran to the A1 stores and they didn't have it in Wharf Road. Yeah. So I ran to, the, ran to W. H. Smith and got it from there. And, um, you know, there was an overpriced bookshop in there that... It's gone now, isn't it? It's gone now. But it was overpriced. But at the same time, I did come away with Francois Truffaut's letters in hardback. You know, not bad. But now the shops that have survived now, and it's interesting as well. The shop fronts—that's another thing that's 
interesting in terms of what survived. Oh, there's isn't some it? beautiful shop fronts up there. But purely from the golden age of shop fronts, yeah, Steve. very clearly the, the 60s. early nineties. <laughs> well, it's clearly sixties designs, and you you do sort of think it's quite interesting. It's like it's this inadvertent conservation, where basically it seems through any sort of lack of funds or desire to change the front of the shops because there's there's some shops that have hooks plastered around the signs where clearly you're just hanging stock in front of it so in a way the fact that these shops are having 15 suitcases hung in front of them has saved this vintage design behind it until the 21st century in a way that it wouldn't have survived if you were actually going to someone if they needed the sign would have ripped it down and put up something awful in the 90s wouldn't they and the other thing is, if it's outside, it gets weather beaten and then replaced. This is it, yeah. But yeah. inside, it's, it's kind of pristine. perfectly preserved. Yeah. I'm kind of a bit of a shop front aficionado. That was going to be the podcast, wasn't it? It was just going well, to be I did. Us. I set up a blog called the South London Shop Fronts. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't post anything in there. But you can find it there. It's southlondonshopfronts.tumblr.com. I'm going to stop putting stuff on there, Steve. I think you should, yeah. Yeah. Visit, South London, visit it. South London Shop Fronts Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what? If you can't get sponsorship for that... Because basically, then there's no hope. Putting up, if you get a pound from everyone, pound from everyone that listens, no pound for everyone that you shop front, you put up, you could turn it into a thing where you put up a shop front and just say, "Give me a pound," and they're like, "We'd never ask to be part of this." (laughs) In fact, take our sign down. Well, this is your invoice. You owe me a pound. (laughs) It's interesting as well. Some of the the names that are there. I think my favourite one was a shop. Well, there was one that was called Better which intrigued me as the name of a shop. I mean, working in retail, the idea of you're setting yourself up as better, but not the best. Quite humble, isn't it? It's them sort of going, there's worse than us out there. (laughs) You could do a lot worse than come to this place. You're not going to get the best. We're not going to lie to you. This is not the best stuff, but it's better than them over there. Honesty. Honesty. It's nice. There's a shop in there called Foot Chain as well. Foot Chain is one word. I don't know what that means. It's odd, isn't it? It's one they, of don't, ones. they don't sell foot chains. They sell no, shoes. They sell shoes, and it, unless they're trying to like create slang, they're like, "Have oh, you seen my new foot chains?" That's not how it works, is it? <laughs> it's if they're reaching, they're really reaching, they're really giving themselves. You know, we've talked about we, we're particular fans of shop fronts, and we weren't buying it. So I don't know what they think the general public are going to be getting out of it at all. Nothing. There was also uh, another shop front in there that intrigued me. There's a place called Nicola's. Uh, and the place, the, the name of it is Nicholas. But Nicholas is in inverted commas. Almost like this is Nicholas. It's kind of not if you know yeah. what we're saying. There's a sneakiness about it. It's quite cheeky as a shot front. It's like trying to get you in on the joke. I don't know why they would do that. Again, it seems like they're putting too much effort into it. And I'm sure if you go in, they're not doing that throughout the shop. The whole shop isn't putting that much effort into uh, the establishment. There's a couple of decent places to eat though, Steve. Yeah, there's yeah. a ha- there are a load of greasy spoon cafes, and you don't need to really try them to find out how good they are. I mean, they're all giving you the standard breakfast with ropey sausage on there. There's one with. Do you remember the one with the terrifying wooden door handle? No. There was one. It looked like it was a wimpy or something at one point. Do you remember? Do you remember the terrifying door? Jenny's handle? is it? Something, I think it was, but it's got its door handle. It's clearly at some point it's supposed to be some sort of cheeky cartoon character, but through years of use, like one of the eyes is now blank and the other one's still got a pupil in it and just through friction it's become a little deformed so it's just now this monstrous little impish character have you got a photo of it for got the... a photograph of the thing yeah but I mean just odds you sort of go if you're going to replace anything get rid of the terrifying because it's, it's at a height where children are going to get eye to eye with it that's the thing that bothers me you're not getting you're not going to have a kids menu 
but you know at the same time traumatizing any passing infant next to Jenny's with an entrance on the not on the street but on the outside from a slope up by the Charlie Champion it's a great entrance isn't it yeah oh, it's lovely yeah like uh, Wembley Way yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Castle Tandori um, which is really nice yeah lovely really really cool. we went there on my stag do um, and yeah it's open till like 2 o'clock in the morning and which, it's is, which is a bonus in itself but also it's going to sound like a, not a recommendation it's going to sound like there's something wrong with it but we've been a few times now and as you say for you stag do where we brought 10 or 12 people along and it, empty Steve it, yeah that's you can go there any time and there's six guys ready to serve you <laughs> So <laughs> I think it was free, but but it seems you know I mean? you're not waiting at all, are you? It's fine, and the food's really good. The, the best story I think we've come up with is the fact that it's been there for a while. They obviously had a golden age in the 70s and 80s, just through the local, golden age of curry houses. The golden age of curry houses, where you know if you, if you watch a, a Fools and Horses from that time, every other episode, Dell's getting a curry. They're going out for a curry. They're going getting a takeaway constantly in curry. So at that point. It would have been, without wanting to cast aspersions on the clientele of the customer at any point, you can imagine it being, and even if you look at it now with the decor, you can imagine it being a place where villains, uh, used car dealers... They've got a photo in their window of a football team they sponsor, which I think is great. I'd love to sponsor a football team. Can, we, can we arrange that? Stuff? Yeah. Wait, wait, we'll get people to sponsor us first, yeah. build up a load of money, yeah. then maybe we'll sponsor Dulligamnet. We'll take your pound. Yeah. <laughs> Double it and then offer that to a local football team. Midway FC of yep. some kind of Premier Division. That which Premier Division is unclear. That bothered me because on the photograph you said Premier Division champions. You know, like they didn't, you know, pip Man United to the title, did they? Not that I remember. No, I don't remember. And it would have made the news, wouldn't it? And slap bang in the middle of the top floor, uh, you've got Mamushka, uh, traditional Polish place. It's a slight Krakow accent I'm kicking up there. You're uh... Krakow. <laughs> is it there you go I think it's crack off right. yeah I've um, yeah, been there a couple of times and I'm going to say some negative things about it Steve but let yeah. me just I'm going to get some positives out first there's three very important things one it's in Elephant Castle yeah. two they do filter coffee for a pound and three it's open until midnight like if I can get coffee around the area at midnight for a pound then already like I'm sold. I think a pound's probably about twelve p cheap in making at home, isn't it? It's such a good deal in terms for of a filter coffee. Yeah, you yeah. get a latte for a pound. Yeah, it's great. They just there are no franchise coffee outlets around. No, you know, and they're twice the price. They don't have the atmosphere, so that's the positive side. I could add a couple more positives. Uh, it's the only place I know where you can go and listen to Polish radio, and at the same time watch Polish television with the sound turned down, <laughs> which can a, be new, quite interesting. a news channel. Yeah, that. it's a new channel, but for some reason, and this is possibly just an adolescence where my knowledge of European television was informed by Chris Tarrant and Euro Eurotrash. Yeah, <laughs> so we, you know, we will be watching it, and you'll have like a pretty standard pop track playing on the radio, and you look up at the news channel, and it's bikinis, isn't it? For some reason, I've just it's just occurred to me. Remember the first time we went there, and there was the woman rolling the beer bottle around on her stomach and between her that. legs. Yeah. I'll never That's forget not the that. news. It was news to me. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that was out there, and I felt better for it. I was there drinking a one-pound coffee, watching uh, a beautiful Polish woman, you know, flirt openly with a bottle of beer, and listening to 
who was it? Beyonce, I think, isn't it? Something like that. Some pop track. Fine, isn't it? Yeah, Fine. it's like hip-hop track, hip-hop track, Polish track. And this is the thing. We're making it sound quite idyllic, but you've got a couple of issues, haven't you? Yeah, well, the, no, there's, with the food, there's, some, there's, po- there's positives and negatives. Of course. Um, I like the fact it's a kind of traditional Polish setup where you go up and pay and take a ticket and sit down and they call your number and you go back and pick up the food. I mean, that's not... One thing I noticed, if you were English like we were, they'd shout a number out. For the Polish people in the house, they would clearly shout out what the, the dish was. In Polish? Yeah. Which, you know, fair enough, would have been useless to us. And I would have been jumping up every two minutes trying to grab everyone's coleslaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went up, I thought, I'll get a start. I don't always get a starter. You know, I'm quite tight. But I thought, you know, since we, we might talk about it on the podcast... So I asked them what the soup of the day was, and the woman said, potato soup. So I thought, you know, let's go with it. It sounds, doesn't sound great. When you said, when she said that, and you went, okay, I'll go for that, I thought, mistake. Oh, it Error. was delicious, wasn't it? Gorgeous. Really, really nice. And what was amazing is, of all, all creamy potato soup, mm. put my spoon in, pulled out a lump of pork. <laughs> There's like six or seven lumps of pork in it. Right. First of all, I like the idea of just sticking pork in, in stuff because people don't eat pork and I'm very against people not eating pork because it's delicious and it's just silly not to eat it, right? Dave's Family Butchers, East Lane. You know, we've established that. Oh, I don't want to sound anti-halal, but I'm, very, <laughs> but I'm very pro-pork. I mean, if you want to live a life without bacon and chorizo, you really need to have a look at your belief system. <laughs> Right, but aside from that, right, aside from the ideology of sticking pork in it, um, why aren't they calling it pork soup? If, you, almost, if you've got a potato soup with pork in it, it becomes pork and potato soup. It was almost like it's a reward for you, sort of. It, you know, it's like for a, me ordering the potato you're, you're soup. You're so virtuous. Yeah. You go in and go. Do you know what? I'll just have a potato soup, and they're like, "Well done." Just for that, here's seven lumps of pork for you. Uh, On to main courses, Steve. I had um, what was basically. Uh, a pork escallop, if I've pronounced that right, because I'm never sure if it's escalop or escallop. I think you just ordered some breadcrumbs, didn't you? And again, they just added pork to it. I mean, this is <laughs> this is the, what this place is all about. Just point out, the filter coffee doesn't have lumps of pork in it. I mean, yeah, you probably won't have a problem with that, would you? Well, yeah, I don't know. You've, you've nailed your colours to the mask. Porkachino. I think to quote you, you should put pork in everything. So if they're listening... I said something like that. But yeah, <laughs> it was it was uh, succulent, uh, cotlet, shabovne. Uh, or no 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 Kotlet uh, Shabovi one of the two that was delicious the only thing is on the side of it was some very cold coleslaw yeah you had a problem over refrigerated I have a problem with over refrigerated food anyway yeah also the mashed po- the potato it was it was as if someone had started mashing it and given up halfway through I like lumpy mash we talked about it haven't we but it was it was so lumpy that it was almost just boiled potatoes it's nice isn't it yeah I didn't enjoy it no <laughs> gravy either yeah, that is a problem. I think, but then gravy with the cold coleslaw. Yeah, I mean, there's a you know, there's some temperature crossing issues. I, I had the coleslaw as my side, but I went for pierogi. I went for sort of traditional Polish dumplings. Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? It was all right. It was very, very plain. But it's like when you go to Chinatown and you get the kind of uh, proper Chinese food. Uh, the dumplings are all right. They're quite nice, but I wouldn't want it as a main. yours was clearly a better main oh it was delicious the pork cutlet which is why I can probably move on to the dessert and just say that that was awful 
again, and I think it's important to get a bit of background and context in this. I famously have an incredibly unsophisticated palate. I'm famously, famously, you know, ask people, they'll tell you. I uh, can exist on very bland foods. I, I pretty much have the same meal every day at work. People at work are fascinated by my ability to eat the same food every day. They can't understand why I'm not out there uh, adventuring. And I think of the two of us, you're clearly much more uh, sophisticated in terms you, of something. You say that, Steve, but basically, we've been. This was another time that we had dessert. Yeah. We'd been to Nando's um, over the road. And thought, let's go and grab a dessert at the Polish place. I asked for cheesecake, and what I got was basically a kind of—it was egg. It looked like a sponge. That was the thing when it when yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a kind of a spongy egg cake. Yeah. When it was when it was presented, my first thought was that doesn't like cheesecake. My second thought was Jack's going to go nuts. I knew because this is the thing for me: a bland sponge. I'm like, that's fine. Enough. But it wasn't even sponge. Those you're days. right. You're right. It was. It tastes like the inside of one of those kind of custard tart things, yeah. but not nearly as nice. And I did, <laughs> I took it back, and I don't normally like go go parading around restaurants, throwing my weight around, but I took it back, and I did say this is not cheesecake, and she was like, well, "The interesting thing was she wasn't going to back down, was she?" No, she was like, "It's Polish cheesecake." Yeah, and that doesn't work, does it? You can't no, just say I that. I said, but a cheesecake by definition must be made with cheese, and she says it's Polish cheesecake. And in the end, she took it back and gave me something else. But there was no base on it. There was no biscuit base. No. It was just they'd, oh, they'd burnt the bottom of it to make <laughs> it look like a base. Um, Lakeisha was with us, and she had an apple cake, which was all right, but it tasted like the uh, sort of thing you get in a packet out of a mini market. Lovely, yeah. And then uh, my replacement dessert was a chocolate cake, which I'm sure didn't have any chocolate in. And again, just tasted like a kind of pound thing out of uh, in, in a word cost cutter delicious because I, I tried all these desserts and as I say I'm so you couldn't believe your luck could you say? I'm just sort of like this is wonderful none of this food's been on the floor at any point that's you know, that's the, the, the bare minimum I from a restaurant can you prove to me that this food's not been on the floor well i ask for a little more Steve you but do. if you go in there for for soup and for coffee and for a pork cutlet like delicious, I highly recommend it. But be the, careful. The lemonade's also very good. Basically, yeah, good. for liquids, wonderful. It's cheap. It is cheap. It's, Five yeah. pound for a main. For the soup was three pound, and you could definitely have that as a lunch. The only thing I would say as well, Steve, is that on some of the artwork they've got up on the walls is very uh, ropey. It's um... there's one where it's, there's some colours painted. It looks like it's done on Photoshop or something, and then put on a canvas. Um, with the text all the colours of my dreams yeah. I mean I think that was for sale but you but made an offer didn't you you were like I'll swap it for this cheesecake they didn't take it it's yeah it looks very much like the sort of art you'd buy it's not a case of them curating it is it they're sort of going have you got ten different pictures <laughs> that we can put up on four different walls the sort of thing that used to be laminated and sold on the street for a pound on the Wharf Road, actually, isn't it? There was that, yeah. that guy who used to sell rugs and... Bob Marley uh, posters. Yeah. You've also got La Bodeguita, uh, the pound South American restaurant, and it's got a little coffee bar as well, which I must admit I've never I've never had, but it's supposed to be quite good. So maybe I'll, maybe next time I'm around there, I'll, I'll pop in. Was it closed when we went last time? 
think it was. No, it wasn't. Closing. But we were closing? no, it was, no. The coffee bit was closed, right. but the restaurant was open and the bar. But we'd just eaten, hadn't we? But next time, Steve, let's uh, grab something to eat there and we'll yeah. report back. In the centre of the Elephant and Castle itself, you've got a large stainless steel uh, cuboid and all. I think would be uh, <laughs> the correct shape. So obviously, I, I think cubicle. <laughs> um, it's it's a large, essentially steel box with a lot of uh, concave panels on it, which, as a child, uh, baffled me. This this massive thing in the centre. You just of, assume it's a power station, don't you? Uh, see, mini I was, power station. I was told as a child it was Doctor Who's house. <laughs> <laughs> I was assured by, uh, you know, up to that point, trustworthy adult that that was where Doctor Who lived. Is it not? <laughs> there's, there's nothing you can't see inside. Which, interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this. Like the TARDIS. Like the, it's probably bigger on inside. You, you, you can't see it. Like, you were supposed to be able to. The original design was for it to be made of glass. And the idea was you'd be able to see... Because it does contain uh, a substation... Uh, and transformer for the local electricity supply and the idea was it would house that and be clear and you could see the workings of the substation inside it's a memorial to michael faraday pioneer of electromagnetism and the idea was that while it was i, I always thought of it as a modernist structure but doing a bit of research for this it's actually from the brutalist school which i like, I like as it, a yeah. school i like the idea of uh, architects going i'm going to build this and it's going to be brutal. And it is um, quite an angular object. I, you know, I like it. I wouldn't call it beautiful. And I think it's quite telling that... I mean, I can't think of another public sculpture or memorial or object designed for display that has that many trees and bushes growing around it and that then they place advertising hoardings around yeah, it's basically it's abandoned, is it? It's an abandoned sculpture, I think. Essentially, yeah, it's, yeah, it's odd. You know, as I say, I, you wouldn't imagine sculptures in Parliament Square or Trafalgar Square having trees planted in front of them or advertising hoardings put on one side of them. It's almost like they've given it this huge spot in the centre, and then they've sort of gone, "It's not very nice. We should probably hide it." But I mean, going back to my Doctor Who story. Uh, an urban myth started at some point in the 90s uh, that the Aphex twin had moved in there. Because <laughs> 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 he moved into the area. And I think, and I'm going to defer to... Uh, and an adult told you he was Doctor Who's well, flatmate. <laughs> I'm going to defer to a uh, friend of the show, Phil Walsh, no relation, who I was talking to yesterday. And I was asking about the Aphex twin because I'm aware of the Aphex twin but don't exactly know what genre he would fall into. Apparently falls into IDM, Intelligent Dance Music, which I'd never heard of as a genre before. No. It's him But apparently Aphex Twin moved into the area in the 90s with some of his IDM money. And some story got out that he'd... People ignoring the fact it's, an, it's a substation. It's not... You can't just move in, <laughs> can you? They were like, he had it converted. You can't do that, can Using you? Using it as a recording studio. It's not... This is the thing. It's not a warehouse where you sort of go, yeah, the great thing about it, loads of space. There's no space, is there? It's full of uh, electrical transformers. But I think, yeah, the story around that he'd moved in. There's no... I can't see a door. What's the postman doing? <laughs> There's a lot of issues in there. You've got a garden. 
as I say, and 28 bus routes. So if the FX Twin did move in there, he's, n- he's not an idiot. Put a helipad on top. At some point in the 90s, they did a competition on Blue Peter, um, and it was to light up a London structure, and you had to draw a picture and send it in. And at someone, um, the winning entry was the Michael Faraday Memorial. Oh, really? Someone had drawn it, and they'd drawn candles all around it, and the candle light was uh, reflecting off all the uh, con- concave panels. Yeah, yeah. And that was the winning entry, and Blue, Blue and Peter went there, and oh, they wow. stuck a load of lights on it. It looked amazing for... 45 minutes <laughs> and then they packed up and they put the advertising holdings back <laughs> I think for a competition involving children drawing choosing a sculpture that's essentially a box is almost cheating isn't it she's, she's basically chosen I'm not saying the kids nah, she's got all kind of coloured pencils out drawn these lights but, going everywhere but she's not really stretched herself in terms of she's not drawing tower bridge is she she's not like I've got to do the towers at the top and then the I think she was an 8 year old brutalist <laughs> Again, uh, merchandise will be available. Uh, I think our (laughs) eight-year-old Brutalist t-shirts are going to fly out, aren't they? Could do. Cuboid and all. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be talking about music in South London. We're going to put together a South London hardcore mixtape. We're going to be picking our favourite songs and artists from and about South London. Uh, So thanks for listening to this one. Get in touch with us on Twitter. It's uh, at SLHC Podcast. Uh, no luck getting SLHC still, but, you know, we haven't given up, Steve, have we? We've pretty much given up, haven't we, I think? Maybe it'd be wise to give up. Probably but, I, I, you know, I'm not going to give up. <laughs> and you can check out our website, southlondonhardcore.com, for supporting materials and links and whatnot. I'm Jack McEnroy, and this is Steve Walsh, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Night. Bye.